0: Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be covering the case of Tequila Tribbett in Gary, Indiana. Let's get right to it. The morning of Monday, September 16, 2019 was much like any other day for utility workers in Gary, Indiana, but the day would end up being anything but routine. They headed out to work in an alleyway near 20th Avenue and Pennsylvania Street. The workers had recently placed some new utility poles along the alleyway, and this alley was a place where people pretty routinely illegally disposed of household trash. At 9.10 a.m., they made their way down the alley and headed to their work site when they stumbled upon the body of a young black female. They immediately notified police and an investigation was launched. Several of the workers spoke to CBS2 Chicago and reported that they believed the girl was a teen. It appeared to them she had been tied to a newly placed utility pole and was beaten to death. Neighbors in the area also spoke out to the outlet revealing that they were horrified that a child had been murdered in their community. I mean, sure, there was crime in the area, but this? This was different. Someone had brutally murdered a child, feet away from their homes. Despite the brutal nature of the crime, they hadn't heard or seen anything unusual in the area over the past days. Police needed the community's assistance in not only locating the monster who was responsible, but also in identifying this young girl. The following day after the discovery of the body, the coroner's office released a description of the victim. The Jane Doe was described as an African-American female between the ages of 14 and 18. She was about 5'2 and 117 pounds, with short black hair and pierced ears. At the time she was found, she was wearing a blue and white Nike windbreaker and an extra small and large champion brand blue pants with gray stripes, a pair of size 7 blue and black Nike Air Max Plus sneakers, and a pink t-shirt size fourteen sixteen with a Superman emblem and the words Supergirl Power on the front. The Lake County Sheriff's Office sent the press a photo of a similar t-shirt to help in making an ID. Days passed and no one immediately came forward. So five days after Jane Doe had been found on September 21st, police released facial reconstruction images created by a forensic artist at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The image was heartbreaking. It made it painstakingly clear just how young this beautiful girl was. She had so much life ahead of her. What had happened? The community wanted answers and those answers would soon trickle out, starting with another press release by the coroner's office. On September 24, 2019, the Lake County Coroner's Office revealed that the initial reports that this Jane Doe had been tied to a utility pole and beaten to death by those who had found the body were incorrect. The young woman had actually died from a gunshot wound, and they made a point of informing the public that she was never tied to the utility pole. With that, there was a lot of confusion about what exactly had happened, with conflicting reports from those who had discovered the body and the coroner's office. But that confusion would later be cleared up when it was revealed that automotive cords were tied around the young girl's neck and wrist, which were then bound behind her back. Those who initially discovered the victim's body believed due to those cords that she had been tied to the pole. The murder had occurred days before the body was discovered, and due to the condition of the body, those utility workers believed she had been beaten. In those first few days of the investigation, police hadn't revealed much besides a description of the victim as they awaited a completed autopsy and processed evidence collected at the scene. They needed to protect the integrity of their investigation. And that's what led to the confusion and conflicting stories. Now that the autopsy had been completed, they knew this young girl had died from a gunshot wound. But who was she? Investigators with the Lake County Gary Metro Homicide Unit, the Lake County Coroner's Office, the Gary Police Department's Juvenile Division, the FBI, and National Center for Missing and Exploited Children combed through missing persons reports, trying to narrow down the search. As they looked for answers, WGN-TV reported that although a positive identification hadn't been made, friends of 14-year-old Tekayla Tribbett believed the body found weeks earlier was that of their friend. According to her friends, not only did the facial reconstruction look a lot like her, Tekayla had the same pink Supergirl t-shirt police had released a photo of earlier. She loved that shirt and wore it all the time. And besides, her friends hadn't heard from Tecala in a couple weeks. In fact, according to the NWI Times, Tecala Tribbett had been reported missing on September 1, 2019 by a representative of a shelter in Chicago. The outlet also reported that it was unclear exactly why she had been reported missing by representatives of a shelter because according to the Chicago police, Tecala wasn't a ward of the state. Other outlets reported that Tequila's aunt had custody of her, but that she frequently stayed with friends and for an unknown amount of time had been staying at this shelter in Chicago. It wasn't like her to not contact her friends, and they were convinced more than ever that the body that had been found was their Tequila. They gathered for a vigil and balloon release in Tequila's honor near the elementary school she had once attended in Chicago. According to WGN-TV, the coroner's office had attempted to make a positive identification with dental records, but the last dental imaging had been done when Tekayla was 9 years old. So many changes take place between 9 and 14, so they were unable to use the records to make a complete comparison. Tekayla's biological mother came forward and submitted her DNA for testing. As they awaited test results, investigators revealed a little more information. Although the missing persons report had been filed on September 1st, friends initially reported to officials that they had last heard from Tequila on September 10th. And something had led investigators to believe that Tequila may have had what they described as ties to a man from Gary, Indiana's Midtown section. Detectives asked that anyone with knowledge of Tequila's whereabouts between September 1st and 16th, including her friends and family, or those who may have seen her and Gary, come forward. On December 1st, 2019, nearly three months after utility workers had made that grisly discovery, CBS News reported what friends and family already knew. That the Lake County Indiana Sheriff's Office confirmed through DNA technology that the body found was that of 14-year-old Tequila Tribbett. Lake County Sheriff Oscar Martinez Jr. said his department was actively pursuing several leads on both sides of the Illinois-Indiana state line in search of suspects and information. And onto a suspect they were. Although nothing had been released publicly, police had been onto a suspect almost since the day Tequila's body had been found. Officials had hinted to the suspect before Tequila had been officially identified. Remember that man from Gary's Midtown section? It turned out that investigators had seized several items of evidence at the scene where Tequila's body had been found, a casing to a 9mm and a gold credit card dropped at the scene with the last name Simmons. A witness came forward and told police they had last seen Tequila on September 12th in Chicago. Records obtained from Facebook showed that Tequila had been talking over the social media site with a man named Dion Lashon, according to court records. Any guesses on Dion's last name? Yep, you got it. Dion Lashon was actually 33 year old Dion Lashon Simmons. It turned out that the credit card found at the crime scene belonged to a relative of his with the same last name. It's unclear how he came into possession of the card, but judging from his criminal record, it's likely police had a few ideas, because Dion LaShawn Simmons had a criminal record that could damn near make a mafia boss blush. By the time Simmons was 15 years old, he had three juvenile adjudications. As an adult, Simmons had been arrested countless times had five felony convictions, including possession of a stolen vehicle, weapons charges, aggravated robbery, and promoting prostitution, just to name a few. For the sake of time, I'll spare you with the misdemeanors, but there was a whole CVS receipt of those as well. At the time Tequila was murdered, Simmons was actually out on parole. And exactly what business did a grown-ass man twice Tequila's age who was in no way related to her, have talking to a 14-year-old child anyway. Let's talk about that promoting prostitution charge that Simmons had previously been convicted of. The Illinois statute defines promoting prostitution as any person who knowingly performs any of the following acts. Advances prostitution as defined in section 11-0.1. Profits from prostitution by compelling a person to become a prostitute or arranging or offering to arrange a situation in which a person may practice prostitution. In simple terms, Dion LaShawn Simmons was a pimp, forcing women into sex work and taking their money like a real shitbag. According to HHS.gov, that promoting prostitution charge is sometimes used instead of a human trafficking charge When victims of trafficking can't or are unwilling to testify out of fear or whatever the reason may be, if you've been following this podcast for a while, then you probably know raising awareness and rescuing victims of human trafficking is something I'm very passionate about. For legal purposes, I want to make this very clear. Simmons was never charged with any trafficking crime in relation to Tequila's murder. However, experts in the field have pointed out that Tekela's case raised several red flags for attempted sex trafficking. There's never a bad time to raise awareness, so let's go over a couple stats, starting with those who are most vulnerable to trafficking. According to the Polaris Project, those who are most at risk fall into several categories. But the top five risk factors are substance use concern, runaway and homeless youth, unstable housing, mental health concern, or recent migration or relocation. And ever since social media became a thing, it's been used as a tool for traffickers to recruit victims. But in 2020, with the shutdowns due to the pandemic, online recruitment exploded. Data collected by the Polaris Project in 2020 showed that there was a 125% increase and reports of recruitment on Facebook from 2019 and a 95% increase on Instagram. Across the board, online recruitment increased 22% from previous years. Common recruitment sites from prior years, such as strip clubs, schools, and foster homes, dropped, and the internet remains the top recruitment location for both sex and labor trafficking. It's crushing to know that foster homes and schools still rank high on the list of recruitment locations. Investigators continued to interview witnesses, track down leads, and slowly build their case. Dion LaShawn Simmons was picked up on unrelated charges, but detectives took the opportunity to question him about how he knew Tequila Tribbett. According to court documents obtained by the Chicago Tribune, in a police interview, Simmons told investigators that he met Zayla when she was being chased down the street by, quote, some guys trying to get her drunk. When pressed further by detectives, he changed his story and said he had a, quote, big brother relationship with her. He claimed he frequently gave her rides, bought her pizza and McDonald's, and paid for her to get her hair and nails done. Simmons said he didn't know how old she was, but he knew she was young, and he had never had a sexual relationship with her. You know, he was this big brother hero figure that looked out for her. Besides, according to Simmons, he hadn't even been back in Indiana since he had a falling out with his father two years prior. When detectives confronted him with the fact that phone records they had already obtained pinged his cell phone near Klein Avenue and Interstate 8094, about 2.5 miles from where Tequila's body had been found on September 14th, he dropped the whole Big Brother Hero Act and told detectives that he had been in Fort Wayne before traveling on down the interstate to solicit a sex worker at a truck stop in Gary. To be clear, both Fort Wayne and Gary are in Indiana, otherwise known as the state Simmons initially claimed he hadn't been in for the past two years. When the investigator determined those stories were all lies, Simmons changed it up yet again and said that he and Zekela were together on September 13th. But she had left of her own free will after an argument because he had shown up too late to take her to a hair appointment. He then claimed he had found out, quote, that same fucking day on the news that she had died. And Simmons couldn't explain how she was found near his relative's house in Gary. I'm assuming he didn't know how his relative's credit card wound up at the scene either. Not to mention the fact that Tequila's body hadn't been found until September 16th. A whole three days after Simmons claimed He had watched the newscast detailing her death. They were his lies and detectives were going to sit back and let him tell as many of them as he wanted. Eventually, he ran out of stories so detectives pressed further and asked Simmons for his DNA. He declined. But when they whipped out the search warrant they had already obtained for it, he then told them that he hoped it would clear him. Stating, if it's not by her genitals, I don't give a fuck. Genitals is not the word Simmons used, but I will not be referring to a minor's private parts in the terms this dirtbag chose to, even if it is a direct quote. Simmons wasn't immediately charged in connection with Tequila's death, and investigators continue to gather evidence. His DNA was sent off to be compared to DNA at the crime scene. A year passed before a warrant for Dion LaShawn Simmons was finally issued. In that year, detectives with the Lake County Gary Metro Homicide Unit had served search warrants for several social media accounts. They wanted their case against Simmons to be rock solid. Not long after the warrant was issued, the U.S. Marshals tracked Simmons down and took him into custody. Nick Gonzalez, inspector for the U.S. Marshal's Service Great Lakes Regional Fugitive Task Force, spoke to thetimes.com and revealed that on November 10, 2020, Simmons was taken into custody without incident at about 1130 a.m. and the 6900 block of South Michigan Avenue in Chicago. Simmons was later extradited from Cook County to face murder charges. He pled not guilty. In March of 2022, the trial of Dion LaShawn Simmons was underway. The prosecution presented a hell of a case. Evidence showed that 14-year-old Takeda Tribbett had met Simmons at a girl's birthday party in Chicago just days before she was murdered. He had offered to give her a ride. Takeda had told that friend of hers that she had been communicating with a man named Dion LaShawn. And then there were the Facebook records. Tekayla's Facebook profile was logged into the same IP address as Simmons' phone in the days before her disappearance. She and Simmons were known to be together at least 18 times. Her last known Facebook location was recorded at 1.27 a.m. on September 14th in the area of Simmons' relatives' home on the south side of Chicago. Three minutes later, at 1.30 a.m. on September 14th, Simmons deactivated his own Facebook account. Cell phone records placed Simmons in very close proximity to where Tequila's body had been found at about 3.45 a.m. on September 14th, and further, the pathologist had concluded The Tequila's time of death was at least 48 hours, but more likely somewhere between three to four days before her body had been found. The timeline matched. When it came to physical evidence, testimony revealed that Tequila had been bound with automotive cords at the wrists, and cords had also been tied around her neck. DNA of two male profiles were found on the cords, and one of the profiles matched the DNA of Simmons. Prosecutors believe Simmons acted alone and the second set of DNA belonged to someone uninvolved in the case. It was also determined that Tequila had been sexually assaulted multiple times prior to her murder. But for reasons I sure couldn't find anywhere, Simmons was never charged with any sex crimes. After Tequila had been sexually assaulted multiple times and bound, she was shot execution style at point-blank range in the head. The prosecutor stated the last image to Kayla Tribbett saw was Simmons pointing a gun at her head. She was completely defenseless. A 9mm shell casing was found at the scene. A special agent with the FBI had executed a search warrant for Simmons' car and found a frame for a 9mm semi-automatic handgun a magazine, and 9mm ammunition hidden in the vehicle. Lake County Deputy Prosecutor Douglas Shaw wrapped it all up, stating that Tekela Tribbett had a rough life, but she made it 14 years surviving however she could. Going on to say she made it six days with Dion Simmons and then she was dead. When it was time for the defense, the attorneys argued that the entire case was circumstantial, and tried to create doubt in the minds of the jurors, making a pretty big deal of why investigators had failed to collect and test a pair of latex gloves seen in crime scene photos near to Kayla's body, going as far as to attempt a spin on the line made infamous by Johnny Cochran in the O.J. Simpson double murder trial, defense attorney Michael Campbell stating, they say it the glove fits, but we don’t even know that. They didn’t test it. They didn’t do their jobs. That’s reasonable doubt. The prosecution argued that investigators didn’t need to test the gloves because they felt they were unrelated to the crime. A lot of garbage was routinely dumped in that area, and the gloves appeared to have been discarded long before Tequila was murdered. All the theatrics by defense attorney Campbell fell flat, and it took the jury all of 25 minutes to convict 36-year-old Dion LaShawn C. Simmons of murdering 14-year-old Takayla Tribbett. In a subsequent phase of his trial, Simmons admitted to firearm and habitual offender enhancements, which could add years to the sentence he would receive. He was facing 45 to 65 years in prison without the habitual offender enhancements. Lake County Criminal Court Judge Natalie Bogota presided over sentencing. Several of Tecala's family members spoke and called Simmons a predator and a coward, pointing out that he had preyed upon a child. D.A. Shaw argued that Simmons should get the maximum allowed by the law and presented several revelations that had been made during a pre-sentence investigation. Not only did Simmons have a lengthy record of violent offenses, not only was he on parole when he committed the murder, not only had he failed at every attempt at probation, according to the district attorney, Dion LaShawn Simmons admitted he had fathered 25 children, but only knew the names of nine of them. I did the math. This deadbeat only knew the names of 36% of his children. And it gets worse. Simmons had been accused of molesting and battering two of those children. The DA went on to say, This is a person that cannot ever be released. I don't want a 95-year-old Dion LaShawn Simmons on the street. I don't trust that. A maximum sentence would protect society so our children and our children's children don't ever have to worry about him. Simmons' attorney argued that those abuse and molestation allegations were pure speculation and asked for leniency in sentencing because, wait for it, his imprisonment could cause an undue hardship for his children. Was it going to cause an undue hardship for the ones he was accused of molesting, the ones he abused, or the ones he didn't even know the names of? Because how in the hell do you even make that argument with a straight face? There were other reasons given why he should get a light sentence, like the fact that he'd never murdered anyone before. But frankly, I'm done talking about this monster, and it didn't matter anyway. Because Judge Bogota bought none of his excuses and sentenced Simmons to 105 years in prison. For the rest of ever, he will be known as inmate number 289277. His projected release date is listed on the Indiana Department of Corrections website as July 22, 2099. Tequila Tribbett was known to her friends and family as Ladybug. Those closest to her remember her as outgoing with a smile that lit up the world. A very strong girl who at just 14 had already faced adversity. A beautiful girl whose life was just beginning. I think her aunt summed it up best when she addressed Simmons in court, stating, Whatever ladybug had going on, you took her opportunity to get it right. I don't forgive you. If there was a death penalty, I think you should have it. Just a couple quick things before we go. If you or someone you know is a victim of human trafficking or at risk of becoming a victim, resources are available 24-7 in the U.S. at the National Trafficking Hotline. You can call 1-888-373-7888 or text BEFREE to two three three seven three three, or visit the Polaris Project at thepolarisproject.org. Project Polaris also offers completely free training and education. It's comprehensive, and I highly recommend it to anyone and everyone. At the completion of training, you even receive a certificate. And did I mention it's completely free? Once again, that's polarisproject.org. Are you looking for a new podcast to binge? I mean, aren't we always? Allow me to introduce you to one of my favorites, Crimeaholics. With over 159 episodes and counting, there's plenty to binge. Holly and Kenzie cover a variety of cases, highlighting missing persons on their Missing Mondays, cases of missing and murdered Indigenous women solved and unsolved cases and there was that one time they interviewed defense attorney Kirk Nurmi who represented Jody Arias in a recent episode Holly covered the suspicious death of Emily Morris Emily was just 16 years old when she was groomed and then sexually assaulted by her high school cross country coach for years she remained quiet about her sexual assault but later decided to speak out and eventually got him to admit to sex crimes on tape. But in 2014, she was found dead in her apartment under suspicious circumstances. You can listen to the full story now. Just search Crimaholics on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be sure to link all the information in the show notes. With two episodes a week on Mondays and Fridays, you won't be disappointed. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. As always, you can find more information on today's case or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcasts. New episodes drop every Thursday. I'll be bringing you an all new case next week. You can finally get all your episodes ad free, just the way you like them, for just two dollars a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.